0: Showtime, a-holes. I suggest you get your head back in the game. It's showtime. Sorry, Rick, it's showtime. It's always showtime, isn't it, Richard? You promised you wouldn't make a big deal. No, you're right, you're right. I promised you I would. You did. But what about everyone else? <laughs> showtime! Welcome back to the Showtime Movie Podcast. I am your host, Joe. as always. Thanks for being alongside me as we discuss some movies i uh, have gotten my butt into a movie theater in the last actually quite a lot in the last couple of months the only problem is i haven't gotten into a studio to actually talk about it with you guys mainly because work has been absolutely bananas crazy like the b-a-n-a-n-a-s type crazy uh because yeah the baseball season you know what the baseball season they play 162 games over like what six months and while you are doing it, I've always found you—you you not like it doesn't really feel like a like a super long grind, like not really, not really. But at the same time, it also feels like you like you are done like a four-hour game or something, or, or like a three and a half-hour game, and then you have to do like the pre-game show and the post-game show and all that stuff. So you you do all that stuff, and it's a lot of fun. When you are done, you are like, oh my gosh, I just need to like eat something, or I need to like sleep or take a nap. I can't tell you how many times these games would be rain delays, which I'm responsible for, or these games would go, like, legit almost four hours, and then we'd have to do an extended post-game show, and then I'd be back in the studio, like, in eight hours to do the pre-game show for the next game. I can only imagine—by the way, while I'm complaining about this, I can only imagine— what the players themselves feel, like what they feel, much like much less what I feel as someone who just sits in a studio and talks about baseball, much less actually like playing the physical sport. But anyways, that is kind of the reason why I just haven't had the time, just haven't had the time to do it. My brother-in-law also got married, which is pretty fun. Here's a crazy story. No joke. On the day he was going to actually get married cuz he's he married he he and his uh and his wife his new wife are both hindus so the hindu ceremony um of which i partook because i'm not hindu but my wife is obviously cuz she's the brother of the guy who <laughs> i'm talking about right but so their family is entirely hindu and part of the ceremony i guess like we did this differently because we got married kind of when the pandemic was at full height kind of thing so it was only 30 people at our wedding which i'm not complaining about it was quite nice actually but Uh, My brother-in-law's wedding was a full, like the full thing, right? Over a whole week, multiple events on basically every day, hundreds and hundreds of people. I actually emceed the reception, which was pretty fun. I managed to, you know, what's funny. I managed to avoid getting COVID, but I did get COVID back in August. And boy, let me tell you, that was not fun. Please get vaccinated because dear God, I often think about like, if I hadn't been vaccinated and I got like sick as a dog. What would have happened? I Honestly, I don't know what the answer to that question is. Anyways, um, uh, for for my brother in law's wedding, he had the ceremony at a certain time on a Thursday, and I my job with my fancy car was to make my car like the wedding car. We decorated the night before; it was really nice, and I was going to drive him and my mother in law to. The actual, not the reception venue, but the wedding venue, like the ceremony venue, I should say, right, where they actually perform the ceremony. They walk around the fire. They they kind of make offerings to the fire, and they do the wedding vows and th- that kind of stuff, right? The actual part where they are legally married. And it was my job to drive them, and we got to their parents' house, and the latch on my trunk broke. And I was also responsible for transporting all of the sweet boxes that we were handing out to all the guests Oh, my goodness. The latch in the trunk broke. While we were in the middle of the highway, I had to pull over. My brother-in-law and I, who's an engineer, he and I are trying to, like, zip-tie the trunk clothes It popped open, like, three times. We had to pull over. My wife, who was taking, like, their great aunt and great uncle to the venue ahead of time, she had to come get her brother and then take him, and I had to stay behind with the car. And then, like, I got stung by a wasp on top of everything. <laughs> it was just... Chaos. My God. Just absolute madness. And then someone had the audacity to say, Oh, were you just late? Or did you uh did your car actually have something wrong with it? Like, come on, lady. I wouldn't like it's not a I I know it sounds like made up, but boy, that was just I there's no I could show you the scar on my hand from when the uh, the wasp bit me. I'll say this. I was standing right next to my mother-in-law when the wasp like bit me, stung me, whatever. And I cussed like a sailor. My God. I cussed so much. And uh, to her credit, she says she did not hear me. I don't know how that's possible considering I was, like, literally standing, like, shoulder to shoulder with this woman. So... I appreciate that she is probably just trying to let me save some face when I was obviously just being a horrible person. So um, I appreciate that. You know what, though? In the end, the wedding actually went off without a hitch. We, are, my, my wife got back to pick up her brother and dropped both her, both him and her mom off to the revenue like, with like half an hour to spare. I had to limp the car with like a barely closing trunk through like this, the streets of Brampton in Ontario here in Canada – and I still got there on time somehow. We I guess we we left really early, so I guess that's why. But my goodness, what a, what a day! What what a day! The funny thing is, is that when I got married, my brother in law got stung by a wasp at our wedding. So I guess that's some kind of tradition now that we get stung at wasps, stung by wasps at people's weddings, each other's weddings. It would seem. Anyways, um. You can make a movie about that stuff. <laughs> dare I say, maybe a poorly written sitcom, actually, instead of a movie. Uh, but speaking of movies, obviously, uh, this is the Showtime Movie Podcast. Appreciate you letting me catch you up on some of the events of the past several months. Um, again, I'm mentioning a COVID that wasn't fun. So um, I'm glad that's over. Uh, so you know what? Sometimes I still find after you talk for a while, you go, <gasps> you just kind of gasp a little while. It's it's wild. It's a like, truly wild stuff. I um, so I I don't wish that on my worst enemy. But uh, I am glad to be back and healthy and I'm going to try and do this podcast a little more regularly at least until after until the Oscars of March of this of 2023 I guess and then it might be a little more sporadic I freely admit because that's when the baseball season starts again and I do a lot of baseball content but why don't you know what why don't we catch up on the TIFF movies I saw I saw 3 TIFF movies this year I was supposed to see a couple more um, and I didn't end up getting to go see them. So those, those movies that I do want to still go see will do on a next episode of the Showtime Movie Podcast. But on this episode of the pod, I wanted to discuss the three I did see. So I got to see The Banshees of Inishirin. I got to see The Whale. And I got to see Knives Out. Uh, I guess it's called Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, I suppose, right? I'm just going to call it Knives Out 2 or just Glass Onion Um, because that's a real, like, the subtitle part of it is a real mouthful, but, but yeah, Glass Onion, Knives Out 2, you guys get what I mean, so I saw those three movies, and I gotta say, Tiff, I mean, it's hard for this not to be the case at Tiff, but Tiff is, like, because diehards go to Tiff, like, either media members or diehards, like, diehard film buffs go to Tiff, right, so, if you watch a movie at TIFF, I feel like you are likely going to see it with a pretty engaged crowd, right? You guys have heard me talk about that before. The idea of seeing a movie with a really engaged crowd because that's – so I feel like that's like like 98% of why you'd want to go see a movie in the theaters anyways, right? Like, it's, like yeah, sure, like the popcorn and the feel and the sound and the giant screen and so on that you can't get at home. The the benefits of going to see movies at home are, are can't be understated, like pausing the movie whenever you want. Uh, you know, getting to go to the bathroom, bring your own food that doesn't cost you an arm and a leg. Like I, I totally get all of that, but I, there is something special about going to see movies in theater, and I, and I and I think it's it further enhanced by going to see it with a fantastic crowd, right? Like some of my favorite memories are seeing movies with fantastic crowds. So for these three movies at TIFF this year, and I, I it's been the case at TIFF for a long time. Um, the crowds were so engaged, and it made the movie so much more fun. Why don't we start with the Banshees of Inishirin then? Because, again, fantastic crowd. Like the the, the kind of like, oh, parts of, <laughs> from the exclamations from the from the audience was something that made this movie in particular a lot of fun. So let's do it. Let's do it. Martin McDonough's Banshees of Inishirin. The Banshees of Inisherin might legitimately be my favorite movie of 2022. I know, like, sometimes when you make those sweeping statements, it seems kind of, like, hyperbolic, like, prisoner of the moment, recency bias type of thing, but... I, I honestly gotta say it's so good. It is so, so good. Directed by Martin McDonough, like I said, starring Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleason, Kerry Condon. Like the cast is fantastic, the atmosphere is fantastic, the direction is terrific. Like it's just it's a great movie from beginning to end. And if you listen to no nothing else, just, just know that it is a moody. It's melancholic and it is it, like there are some legitimately laugh out loud funny moments. And then they're like immediately followed up by moments where like you just feel a sense of dread. And it's so good. It's so good. I, I can't rave about this movie enough. Definitely my favorite movie of the year. Maybe that changes, right? Like maybe that changes between now and the end of, of 2022 in the next like two months or so. But honestly, it was the best film I've seen this year, like definitely the best dramatic film, right? Because I still would say, like I did, I really enjoyed Top Gun Maverick, for example, right? I know we didn't do an episode talking about Top Gun Maverick, but that was a that was a really good movie too, right? So I I really liked that one, and uh, Banshees of Sharing that is, and it's it's just fantastically done all around. Martin McDonough is interesting, right? Because when people think of Martin McDonough, they think of In Bruges, I would say, and and of course that movie also starred Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell, and they star in this one. I also hate career best from Colin Farrell, probably right. But most people referenced the in Bruges movie, Ralph Fiennes being in that one as well. Um, Seven psychopaths obviously came out, I think in like two, 2011 and 2012 thereabouts, right. It came out when I was in university, which is why I remember that one. And then uh, in 2016 and 2017, um, the three billboards movie came out, of course, which uh, Francis McDormand won another Oscar for. And that movie got tons of accolades, right. So, in, including other Oscars as well. And, here we are with Banshees of Inisherin, and it just feels like this movie is destined for more Oscar glory. And I know I promised, like, years ago that I wouldn't only couch movies in terms of how many Oscars they will or won't win. But this movie is, like, it is it Oscar bait? Maybe to a certain degree, but it's also a brilliantly crafted movie, right? Two friends who have been who have been friends forever, living on some remote island off the coast of Ireland— um, in an unspecified time period, like like uh, like directly, I'd say, but it does imply that it takes place like in the early 1900s, maybe even the late 1800s, I would say, but these two friends, Farrell and Gleason, who suddenly have their friendship terminated, right? It suddenly has their, like one of them, Brendan Gleason's character, just completely cuts off the other one and the other one doesn't understand why, right? And they end up, they, they kind of like it. Set it sets them both on an inalterable path of like misery and darkness and sadness, and it is like obliquely funny. It is weird. Like I felt I almost felt bad for laughing at some points. It's just I gotta say it was it was very good though. The the call the, the career best from Colin Farrell. He is just. He plays this dim character and, and who doesn't really know he is dim and who is satisfied by a life, who is satisfied by a simple life. Let's put it that way, right? Whereas the other character, Brendan Gleeson's character, he is a, clearly an intelligent guy who maybe finds himself bored by the simple life that he has been living basically for the last, like, 40 to 50 years maybe even longer it would seem right and he he, he dreams of more He has, he's creative and he's intelligent and his only friend is like a dimwit who raises goats essentially right and it's funny because you see the interactions of every other person on the island with each character when they're together and when they're in, when they're apart, and they treat them both so differently. And Kerry Condon, I gotta say, Kerry, you know it's funny. Kerry Condon, I, I, I watch this movie and I think to myself, like, you know, you, you can probably always do this. Like, where have I seen this actor before? Where have I seen that actor before? I mean, that's the nature of acting. These people are are like they're famous for their for for being able to take on different roles. But I was could not for the life of me really pick out where Carrie Condon is from. And then it hit me. She's in Breaking Bad slash Better Call Saul as Mike's, like, daughter-in-law, like, the wife of his, like, deceased son. And she's in... Like, she's not in a ton, obviously, right? Like, she's not in a huge amount, but she's in it enough that you, like, see her relatively often, especially in the last couple seasons of uh, Better Call Saul when Mike is in... and, And Breaking Bad, too, when Mike's introduced into that show. But I just, like, I... It, I could not for the life of me pick her out, and then it, it suddenly hit me like a ton of breaks, and I thought, man, she's fantastic, and I got to say, like, Colin Farrell is great. Carrie Condon might have been even better as, like, as his character's sister, who is also clearly intelligent and is also – she like, she doesn't do well by living – on this island where she finds no one suitable for herself and she finds that she could be destined for more if she lived like, let's say, on the mainland and in in the end, and this is a spoiler spoiler-filled review as these usually are, but and in, in the end she does depart to go to the mainland, and that's when things take a turn for the worst for her brother and the relationship between him and his friend, his former friend. And it's just it's just a very well done film, especially when you look at the the differences between uh, Brendan Gleason's character and Carrie Condon's character because they both kind of are very similar in the sense that they're both very intelligent. They're both single. They both want more out of life and one does something about it. One, she actually does something positive and goes and she goes. I I guess it's implied she goes to like Dublin or something, right? Like she goes to like the mainland instead of this small little tiny island. And throughout the movie, you can you can kind of see that there is some kind of war going on, some kind of fighting like cannon fire and so on happening on the mainland. And that's where she goes to Dublin or to at least the mainland. And I like that because... I think it shows that she was willing to risk something in order like to have a pursuit of a better life, right? And you got Brendan Gleason's character whose whose solution is just to ignore his friend and be mean to him and then like basically hurt himself just to make a point when he could also do what the sister did. I just found it all so interesting. They're such nuanced characters, and I I think you don't often see characters like that anymore, I I would think, right? So I um I really liked I really like this movie. The score, you heard the music at the beginning. It, it's very eerie sounding and, and it underscores the the kind of melancholy that permeates every part of this movie as well. So I am glad I got to see it. The crowd was just ooing and eyeing at every, like not in a good way necessarily, right? Like they were like, oh, ooh, right? Like at all the, the parts where like Brendan Gleeson's character is like cutting off his fingers and you're like, you're not sure if he's going to do it, right? And then you're like, oh, is he just playing around? And then, the inevitable conclusion when it escalates and, and Colin Farrell's character strikes back, boy, it's they are they are so, so good. Colin Farrell like he just he 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 really has been always a talented actor right but i just he really disappears into these kinds of roles i don't know if it's just that martin mcdonough gets more out of him than other people i mean like like he disappeared into like the batman earlier this season which we also didn't do a podcast review for but but the uh the these kinds of roles suit him so well i i've always hated the the term you know when people talk about like brad pitt and they say something like oh he's a He's a leading man. No, he's a character actor in a leading man's body. Because which basically means to say he's hot and he's attractive, but he's like he's like a quirky character actor, right? People say that about Brad Pitt all the time. Which I mean, I get to a certain degree. I'm, I've said that before myself. I'm absolutely guilty of saying that. But like thinking about it more, it just seems kind of stupid. Like if you're a good actor, you're a good actor. Your looks are not, right? I don't know. Maybe it's. I mean, you kind of have to be to a certain degree attractive to be an actor because I think I I do think people want to see attractive human beings on their big movie screens or on their fancy 4k tvs i do believe that but i you know you don't have to be hot to be a good actor anyway anyways con farrell is both and he turns in a fantastic performance again like as the like he like he he the the hurt looks on his face and like how he like the uncomprehending looks and like the simple dialogue works so well for him and for all the other characters surrounding him I I I couldn't speak more highly of him. I I would be shocked at this point. And again, I'm going back to the whole like judging in terms of Oscar's thing, but I would be shocked if he was not nominated for an Oscar at this point. I th- I would really would be. I he could very well win the thing. I mean, it depends on who else is nominated, I would say, and there's another guy, guy we're going to talk about on this episode who I think probably could also win should win maybe but Colin Farrell is is worthy of it this year because he was absolutely fantastic the movie was great I have no doubt this is going to be nominated for best picture at least for best director as well for Martin McDonough but uh it's a fantastic film and when it comes out in theaters I I, if it hasn't already I heartily recommend you give it a watch before the Oscars because I guarantee you lots of people are going to be talking about this film uh, for the next couple of months Let's get to our next movie where I do want to talk about the next actor who I think could very well win best actor in the Oscars at the Oscars in a couple of months. But beyond that, it's just a very moving portrait of how, again, like grief and loss affects one guy. I mean, grief and loss affects everyone differently, but this particular movie is about how it affects one guy. Some very striking imagery in this movie, especially when it comes to uh, the the main guy. But uh, Darren Aronofsky's The Whale, as another movie I saw at Tiff, and again, like the whole movie is pretty good but i think when you leave the cinema watching this one you will be thinking of the main actor in this one so why don't we get to the review again darren aronofsky's movie the whale the actor i'm talking about of course is brendan fraser who is honestly one of my favorite actors of all time mainly because of all of the Action comedy movies he did in in like the what the mid to late nineties, early two thousands, and then he like fell off the face of the earth essentially, right? I think it's come out since then. There was a great piece on GQ magazine where he basically talked about how he like he was badly injured for a while, like he like all the physical stunts he did took a toll on his joints and his body. He um, he got divorced. He got taken to the cleaners by his, his, for alimony and so on. Like he just had a rough go of things. Um, you know he has he has talked a lot about his experiences in Hollywood, and I I freely fully recommend that GQ article because it's very, very, very good. Um, I do want to say, though, that his performance in The Whale as the main character, like, essentially, The Whale, (laughs) right? He is so good. I cannot believe it. Like, you, yes, is he wearing a fat suit to a certain... for Like, to kind of get the effect of being, like, a 600-pound man who is, like, morbidly obese and eats himself to death, essentially? Yeah, yes, he is, right? But still, like, the acting with, like, the way he moves around and... His like the the acting in his face and his body language is so good. I just I love it so much because he is just like it's it's like heartbreaking. Because you feel really feel for this like this kind man who had something terrible happen to him and he couldn't handle it, he like couldn't handle it and is basically i think his his like he broke a little bit as he basically admits, despite the terrible things he has done himself to the people and his, the people around him and his family and so on at the core of this movie is about again this like six hundred pound writing instructor who teaches remotely, so very very much a product of its time when it comes to uh like the you know remote learning and so on right but uh this man eventually he he basically finds out he's dying. The whole movie takes place over the course of I think a week and he's finding he finds out he's dying and is basically he basically wants to reconnect with his estranged daughter uh who's played by Sadie Sink and like she's she's pretty good as well. She's a little like uh... I don't want to say shrill cuz I think that has some kind of negative connotations to it like in the sense that like like if you when you want to put down a woman or a female actor I think you would describe describe them as shrill right and that's not that's not what I want to do whatsoever with Sadie Sink but it just feels like a lot of her scenes in this movie were very like one note it felt very like oh she's just yelling here and then she leaves and then it's like oh she's yelling again and then she leaves and then she's like yelling some more and then she cries a little bit and then she yells some more and then she <laughs> And then she leaves, right? I, I'm not complaining because I think, like, for a portrayal of like an angry teenager, it's probably pretty accurate, right? Like, it's pro- in the end, it probably is legitimately a good portrayal. Does that mean it was pleasant to watch? No. I you kind of straddle the line of like, well, does it doesn't have to be pleasant to be good acting. I don't know. I just I didn't love it. Let's put it that way. I Didn't love the 80s thing part of this movie, but uh, in the end. But, uh, even though I do like her overall, but Brendan Fraser is the real reason you go see this movie because he was just electric, right? Like I just, I just like, couldn't take my eyes off of him whenever I was watching this movie, because I mean, certainly it, it's hard to, because he literally takes up most of the screen whenever he's in frame. And like he, he can, when he walks around, it's like the, the cup shaking in Jurassic park kind of thing. Like it's, and they, I'm, I'm 98% sure they do that on purpose, but it's, it's, again, it's a, it's like sad because you see like bad things happen to him, or he gets like a, he has a setback in his communication with his daughter, and he, and he eats and he eats and he eats and he eats and he eats, and it's just it like makes me sad because like I honestly I like couldn't eat that kind of food like fast food type stuff for a couple of days after I watched this movie, and again yeah you learn the you learn the relationships of him with the other characters, not just his estranged daughter and his estranged ex wife, but also. Uh, with uh, this character named Liz. Charlie is the main character's name. Liz is the name of the character played by Hong Chao, and she is fantastic. She's probably my next favorite character in this movie because you learn, and I talked about grief and loss before we got into this, her character is also someone dealing with grief and loss. They kind of all are, right? Like the, the Sadie Singh character, the daughter, she is dealing with essentially the loss of her father and how she feels abandoned by him, even though he is trying to reach out to her. Liz, her, her character, okay, so she is the sister of the man Charlie left his wife and daughter for. You find out he's gay and he leaves he leaves them to be with this man, Liz's brother, and then you learn eventually that he dies Um, I think it is more or less said that he committed suicide and that he couldn't handle like the, he couldn't handle the, 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 Like I don't know what the right word is, but like he, he couldn't handle the pressure, let's say of being gay and also being a true believer in God and belonging to a church and being religious and so on. Right. And so he eventually commits suicide and that damages the relationship between, Charlie and everyone else, and he gets, he eats and eats and eats out of grief, and he becomes huge. And Liz is also dealing with her grief, and she deals with it by being like kind of acerbic and sarcastic. And I just, the whole movie is just, again, an examination on how different people deal with loss. And some people deal with it by lashing out. Some people deal with it by eating. Some people deal with it by throwing themselves into their work. And it's underscored by all of the main characters in this movie. Some people deal with it by drinking. And uh, the ex-wife isn't the character who, who's, who's referred to there, right? Some people deal with it by finding more religion, which is in, in evidenced by Ty Simpkins's uh, not really like a missionary necessarily, but like for more or less, he's a missionary, right? He's like works for some church, and then you find out the truth about why he why he does or does not work for the church in the end, right? It just that's it's like a fascinating introspective look at those kinds of characters, and it's all headlined by by Brendan Fraser. I believe this movie is a play, right? Like I think it is. I think like originally it's not a like before Darren Aronofsky turned it into a movie. I think it was a play, and it very much feels like one. So, for that, for that reason, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of movement in this movie, right? Like, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of people moving around. It's a lot of people, like, standing at the kitchen. And Charlie, being as big as he is, he's mostly sitting down all the time. So, like, it, it's kind of like people standing and talking to him, or him sitting and talking to other people, or people standing and talking to each other, or sitting on the porch and talking to each other. You know what I mean? Like, there's not, a, like, the entire movie basically takes place in his apartment, his dingy little apartment. And I think it's it's because he can't leave, right? So I, I, I appreciate that decision because it makes the movie feel a little more intimate that way, but at the same time, it does make the movie feel, like, not stagnant necessarily, but it does make it feel a little more, like, like not fluid, right? It could be more fluid, let's say, right? So it's for that reason, I think... When we look back, and it's certainly, I mean, again, to bring it back to the Oscars and, and awards and accolades and so on, I mean, Brendan Fraser did win, I think, like the, I don't know what it was called, like the Golden Actor Award or something at TIFF. Um, by the way, he also shared, I think he was like a male and a female actor, and he, and I think Michelle Yeoh got a, a Legacy Award, and so they were kind of at the awards together. And remember, Brendan Fraser and Michelle Yeoh were in The Mummy 3 together, so it was kind of cool to see them reunite, and she had some really nice things to say about him, which is really cool, but... Awards wise, I have a feeling we don't see this movie get a, nominated for very many awards beyond Best Actor, and and it could very well win Best Actor. And honestly, as much as I like Colin Farrell and Banshees of Inishairn, I actually think I might like narrowly pick Brendan Fraser in this one. So he is uh, he's really really good, and he deserves all the ac- awards. And again, is there like a little bit of a narrative boost? It's like oh, Brendan Fraser's making his comeback. Remember he was in that movie uh, from a couple of years ago. I think it was like a, I think it was a streaming. movie movie maybe but i think it was an amazon prime but anyways it was that movie with like a group of criminals and they're like brought together under like really weird circumstances and they have to figure out what's going on that was from a couple years ago with don cheadle and benicio del toro no sudden move that's what it's called i was looking it up while i was talking no sudden move i think it came out last year actually maybe even 2021 And he was in that movie. He's like the mysterious guy. And everyone was kind of like, oh, cool, Brendan Fraser. And then he gets these – now he's starting to get these leading turns. I think he was in the Doom Patrol TV show for a while. Like he's making a comeback. And I think it would be cool to see it capped by critical acclaim. So for that reason, he might get a bit of a more of a a push, I think, from the industry when it comes to winning Oscars. But, I mean, what do I know? It's not like I'm an insider or anything. But I just find – I find that idea – fascinating in addition to the fact that he gave a really 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 good performance so again i recommend going to see the whale because one of the best performances of the year you'll see from brendan Fraser and some great supporting turns like hong chow for example and sadie sink yeah, fine fine as well but still uh some good acting in this one and uh, you don't want to miss it let's get to the last movie on the docket from tiff this year uh, at least for me and this one was the next installment in the knives out uh, I don't want to say trilogy because there might be more than three movies, but the Knives Out series of movies um, by Ryan Johnson, I actually got to see the original Knives Out, if you guys remember, at TIFF a couple of years, like when it came out, right? Like, And I knew nothing about this movie. I didn't know a single thing. What a terrific surprise that movie was. And so I think expectations were higher for Glass Onion the second time around, another astonishingly talented cast. And... I think this movie still manages to be very, very good and a lot of fun, right? where We did the other two movies, very good movies as well, but you're kind of like, oh man, maybe I need to take a shower or take a break from watching movies (laughs) after you've watched them. And uh, the Glass Onion movie, Knives Out 2, you, you just feel like you had a good time with the movie theaters. And honestly, that doesn't happen all that often anymore. So for that reason, I really enjoyed it. Let's get into it. Ryan Johnson's next installment of the Knives Out series, Glass Onion. I would just like to start this uh, review of Glass Onion by saying that Janelle Monet, who once upon a time was quote unquote only a musician, right? Janelle Monet is an international treasure. She must be absolutely protected at all costs. She is Awesome. She's so good. Like the rest of the characters in this an actors in this movie, Daniel Craig, Edward Norton, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista, Jessica Henwick, like they're all really good. Don't get me wrong, like they're all they're all fantastically entertaining in their own ways as they always are, but Honestly, it is a. It's like Janelle Monae, and then a distant second is like maybe Daniel Craig, right? Like it's all. It, you know what? But the thing is, it doesn't really even matter. Like they all, they all are, they all are really good. But at the same time, Janelle Monae's she ele, she elevates this movie from being just a fun watch to a really fun watch, right? Uh, is, is this movie in the end as good as the first Knives Out? Uh, I would say no, only because and you know you guys heard me talk about this a million billion times. The idea of expectations, right? Expectations are is something that – how do I want to put it? Like if, if there are no expectations, then you go into a movie and it's really good. You're like, wow, that was fantastic. If you have high expectations and it's still really good, you're like, oh, yeah, cool. I'm glad it met my expectations. Or if it falls short of those high expectations, then you're in trouble, right? I think because Knives Out 1 was so, so, so good – Having Glass Onion, A Knives Out Mystery, which is what the official full title of this movie is, you kind of had such high expectations that I maybe it was like, again, not set up for failure, but it was definitely like probably never going to be as good as the first one. I am pleased to report that it is still very good, right? Like I know the way I was leading into that was that, it, oh, it was actually kind of bad. No, no, no. It was it was very good. It was funny. It was smart. It was clever in the way they kind of lay, lay it all out for you and then also in the way they unravel the mystery at the end. You know how at the end, like, the detective always kind of stands in front of the audience and then is basically, this is what happened, right? Like, Hercule Poirot did that, and obviously Benoit Blanc himself in the first movie did that, and they kind of even joke a little bit about that. It's really good. Like, they, they do all of those things. It hits all the notes of a fun murder mystery, and it's very creative to boot, right? But I, I really do think that it's just, in the end, it's just not quite as tight as maybe the first one was. And for that reason, it's like, it, it's probably just, just falls short, but uh, the the villains are compelling and they're basically all villains, right? Like they all have reasons to be a-holes and they're all, they all kind of, you learn that they're all like not great people, but have kind of taken advantage of, of things that have been given to them in life so they could get ahead over others. And then now they're kind of like, they're 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 being forced to, you know, pay the piper, let's call it. And as a result, they uh they 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 run into trouble and you know there's someone actually does get murdered, although it's not the person you may necessarily think it is, uh despite uh watching all the trailers with Edward Norton inviting people to solve his murder, right? It's very, very good, I gotta say. Very good. Uh, very a lot of fun. Some fun cameos as well. Like I think I, I can't tell if this was like and this is probably done ambiguously, but Benoit Blanc, you meet him for the first time in this movie, he's taking a bath, and someone, like, rings the doorbell, and later on in the movie, you see the, like, someone answers the door for him, and it's, I forgot what the, it might not even have, the guy may not even have had a name, but the character was played by Hugh Grant, which is really funny, right? And so Hugh Grant answers the door, and he's, like, baking something. So now, I took that to mean that he was Benoit's butler, right? That's how I interpreted that in that moment. And now I'm seeing on online and stuff that apparently there, your, people could re, people read that like that's his husband or at least his boyfriend, right? And so they are they live together and his partner. And I thought to myself, man, I that think never legitimately occurred to me, but that'd be perfectly fine reading as well. Like I Hugh Grant, yeah, sign me up, man. <laughs> Hugh Grant is the best. He's great. There's also a very brief cameo by Ethan Hawke as well. You kind of think there'd be more to that, but uh in the end there isn't. I will say the 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 final way this movie unravels, and I know we do spoilers on this podcast. I, I won't just because it's so satisfying. It's so satisfying. Like, the final, like, it, it feels like the villain wins in the end, right? And then in the end, th- this kind of crazy, it's like basically an action sequence. Like, you, could call it, you refer to action sequences kind of like a set pieces when we do these things and when we do these movie chats on the pod. But you know, this is not really like an action movie. There is still kind of an action set piece at the end of this film, and it's done so exceptionally well. Ryan Johnson just, like, he is so talented a filmmaker. He just seems like he infuses fun into every part of this movie. You can reexamine every scene from multiple angles, and in fact, they do do that in this film, and to reveal things you may have missed or that were intentionally obscured from your point of view, like you, the viewer's point of view, but also from different characters' point of view. They revisit scenes, like, halfway through, and you're, like, as if to say, hey, remember this? And and it works to great effect. Like, you guys know I'm not a big fan of, like, the, the, the show versus telling thing, right? And... They do show and not tell in this movie, but it works so well because this movie is so visually pleasant to take in that I'm not going to complain. I just can't complain. And again, a lot of it has to do with Janelle Monáe and the acting, the chemistry between her and Daniel Craig. That's a huge part of this film. And like, look, Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Dave Bautista, Edward Norton, they're all very good. But they're all like the wacky side characters, much in the same way that all the characters in – like uh like you know Don Nelson and so on were in the in the first one right so uh, unfortunately no LaKeith Stanfield it's only just um it's just Benoît Blanc's character for uh, for Daniel Craig that makes an appearance like as a detective in this movie but again like I, I think we, we have basically learned that Ryan Johnson's gonna be making these movies like until the end of time. Like I think apparently we all we are still getting a Star Wars trilogy from Ryan Johnson like he's been very adamant saying that he thinks it's still gonna happen, but that Netflix just like has him making these movies forever. If they stay as good as these movies have been and, and even if the next couple movies are as good as a like, glass onion, I don't think you can complain too much because the quality is still so high. They're still so creative. And, you know, what? we just haven't gotten good murder whodunits. Like, I mean, I did see um, Death on the Nile recently. And, like, I don't know. Movie kind of stinks, right? Like it's it's not very good. Like there's it, like, that movie, like basically serves like there's like a whole part of that movie that like shows you a backstory for like for like Hercule Poirot's Mustache. For God's sake, right? It's like who cares? Like this is a this is like an origin story for his mustache. Like why? Why is that a, a thing? And I was also never a huge fan of Gal Gadot, and of course all the controversy around Army Hammer. His his part has been minimized as much as possible, but like. It's impossible to remove him from the movie as much as as much as he is because he's the guy who did it right. Like he's the he's the murderer in the end, right? So it's like you can't really take him out of the movie. Anyways, like I only bring up Death on the Nile because it's it, like as much as I love Kenneth Branagh and I want to see more Kenneth Branagh or Hercule Poirot movies. Let me just say, and I believe we are going to get a third one, but. The Knives Out movies are such a breath of fresh air into that genre, a genre that has largely remained unchanged, I would say. Like I know Kenneth Branagh is doing like a new take on it like visually with like like the 21st century convention, but Ryan Johnson also does that but changes it up so it feels a little more modern while still incorporating all of the best tropes of who done it and red herrings and twists and turns just like clue which they also uh, lampoon um in this movie as well. So if you haven't seen it I definitely recommend you go see it. I believe this movie is being put into theaters for a limited engagement before they release it on Netflix. If you can see it in theaters. And this brings me all the way back to the beginning of this episode where I talked about like going to see movies in theaters. If you can see it with a crowd I recommend it because the crowd may, just like the first knives out just like that one, this movie is best watched with a fun crowd that enjoy like that is laughing and gasping and so on because like watching it at home will still be very enjoyable, don't get me wrong, but watching this movie in theaters with an audience is absolutely worth it. It's worth the trip. Like these kinds of movies are worth it for me and uh, I hope you go along with it because it's a fun one, and you, uh, it may not win any Oscars. I don't think it will win any, any Oscars or be nominated for any Oscars, but it will be a worthy watch because it's, it's a fun one, and we just don't get a lot of fun movies uh, in 2022. So definitely put this one on your uh, to-watch list going forward. That does it for movies on this edition of the Showtime Movie Podcast. It was a lot of fun getting back to TIFF and being involved in the crowds, waiting in lines. I mean, that's not so fun. It actually rained while I was in line for Knives Out. Like, thanks a lot, Toronto September weather. (laughs) cheese. I do want to go see The Fableman still. And there were a couple other ones that I just didn't get a chance to see, like The Menu, which is going to be out soon and so on, right? So there, there are a lot of movies still to come that I will go see that aired at TIFF as a TIFF selections, but I will go see them before the Oscars. But, uh, it was it was a good time at TIFF this year. It was it was it was largely back to normal. Like there was no actually there was no spacing out in the theater and like the whale screening was jammed. Like there were so many people like they actually the people like the, the people work at TIFF and kudos to those people for being volunteers because that is a tough job wrangling ornery like crew and cast, you know, and, and like media members and so on. Uh, they they do a fantastic job year in and year out. Especially, especially that guy with the glasses outside of Scotiabank Arena it does a, does a great job every year. Anyways, um, the uh people actually came into the theater and was like, please please scooch together. There is no spacing. Scooch together. So you better believe I wore my mask the entire time because again, I I had I had gotten COVID like like 40 days prior to that and I was completely healthy by then but man that like that really got me a little freaked out. So anyways, I uh, I appreciate you being alongside me for this episode of the podcast. The next episode we will uh, get back to the blockbusters I think. I I will probably go see Black Panther Wakanda Forever and have that review available. I actually did no joke. I actually did do a review of Top Gun Maverick. I had, like, all these things, like, actually create, like, I, I put the the sound bites in there, and I had it all ready to go, and my goal was to do another movie, and, like, you know, we do two or three movies an episode, my goal was to have it all packaged together, and I just never made the rest of the reviews, I never did the rest of the reviews, so that movie, like, that review is just sitting, it's just sitting somewhere, so then I might just package in the Top Gun Maverick review and, then, and then as a quick one, and then we'll get to some other reviews as well, but... I appreciate you being patient. Um, thank you for listening. I also want to get back to doing some reaction to Andor because we did reaction to. Uh, we did reaction to the Kenobi show and I want to do the same thing for Andor. So, I mean, we're not going to do it weekly anymore because the Andor episodes were pretty easy to do because they were so short. Andor is almost over. So I think um, instead of doing a reaction after every episode, which is like hard to do anyway, since it's mostly done, but we're going to do, I think like a, we'll just get a guest on and we'll talk about some Andor stuff. So we'll see who we get on. I have a couple names in mind, but, I mean, you never know with these things, right? But still, and or reviews, more reviews, some of the movies I see this summer and movies still to come, including Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, right? So a lot of content, a lot of hashtag content on the Showtime Movie Podcast. But again, appreciate you being alongside me and I'll talk to you later. Let's just call it quits. We won't call it quits. We'll call it the start.